This episode of Elevate Your Leadership has been brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. Check out our corporate events to include on-site leadership training. Visit iFlyVABeach.com. That's iFlyVABeach.com. Welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast series with U.S. Navy Special Operations veteran, CEO, and hockey fanatic, Bob Pizzini. Bob discusses leadership, success, failure, defining moments, and hard lessons learned with guests who are intentional in their approach to leadership. Leadership is a perishable skill. Use it or lose it. In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Elevate Your Leadership with yours truly, Bob Pizzini. I love to talk to people who not only make my life's experience better, but are guaranteed to make your life's experience better. And today is no exception. I have a very experienced, well-rounded, energetic guest, Jerry Frensos. And Jerry wrote a book recently called Intentionally Well. And I read this book in about three days. I just rolled right through it because when he talks about being intentionally well, and health and wellness. This is something that I pay close attention to. And this is something that any conscious leader pays very close attention to. Briefly about Jerry, and I'll try and keep this brief. He is a man of many accomplishments. Jerry is an author. He's a world-class athlete. He's an adjunct professor, a clinical dietitian, a sports nutritionist, and a health journalist. Jerry has set 20 master swimming records over the last four decades. So he is a swimmer, if you haven't gathered. Uh, professional performance. Jerry is currently promoting his first book, Intentionally Well, which I've mentioned and I read. Intentionally Well, Maximize the Economy of Your Health. This book is an in-depth look at physical, mental, and emotional performance where everything starts with the heart. This book is the culmination of his professional career, which includes a master's degree in nutritional sciences, clinical dietitian, adjunct professor, NCAA Division I head coach, I'm definitely envious there, sports nutrition director at the U.S. Naval Academy, fitness and wellness coordinator at the U.S. Police Corps, sponsored by the Department of Justice, and head coach of a two-time collegiate triathlon national championship. Jerry, welcome to Elevate Your Leadership. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a heck of a background that you have. I will say that people who are familiar with my approach to leadership and really uh, this discussion ultimately for me is about leadership, I realize that people will view this discussion through whichever lens is most appropriate for them, which I think is awesome. And please expand on that in just a second. But my listeners know that for me, being intentional about leadership or what I call the science of leadership means paying attention to rest, hydration, nutrition, exercise, brain and heart health and lifelong learning. And when I read your book, man, it was my philosophy on steroids. It really took me personally to the next level. And I think that this discussion is going to take our listeners to the next level. So with that, Jerry, tell us about why you wrote the book, about your experimentation, start wherever you like. 
I'm going to be honest with you, Bob. I, this is, I know we've gone back and forth with a couple of emails, a couple of private conversations and things like that, but things changed for me last night. It's going to be tough for me to get through this. It's going to be tough for me to get through this without crying because I will, you will soon discover why. So as, as we talked about, my, my son had, he had a surgery and this was his ninth surgery. And this was, unfortunately, unfortunately, his surgeries have, have become somewhat normalized, which is difficult to say in itself. So the surgery goes through six hours wait. I get the call back to go see him. He's in the recovery room going through his process of slowly coming out from underneath anesthesia. We're sitting there going back and forth. The nurse is there. She's doing all the stuff that she needs to do. And all of a sudden, we're, we're probably five minutes from walking out the door. And she says, okay, how far is the drive? And I'm like, it's about an hour. She goes, okay, with that, let's go ahead and give him one final dose of pain medication because he had, he had surgery along. He had to, they had to take some cartilage out of his floating rib. And he was going to feel every bump because of that. And so the nurse was like, ah, an hour drive, let's go ahead. So he drank some water, took the pill, and then instantly threw it up. This is his ninth surgery. He's thrown up every single time. So for us, this was a normal process. So she's like, oh, all right, let's, so we tried it again. It stayed down. But as we were getting ready to leave, he looks at me, and this is where it gets tough. He looks at me and goes, he goes, dad, I, I'm bleeding somewhere. And the nurse was just like, I just checked all your surgical sites. Everything is fine. And he wasn't happy with how the conversation was going. So he looked at her in dead in the eye and said, help me, please. I am bleeding somewhere. It was a little bone chilling. Jerry, so, what, uh, what's your son's name and how old is the young man? His name is Max and he's 15 years old. So okay, he's please continue. pretty young. He's young. So we got the attention of the nurse. And so the nurse then, okay, let me go ahead and check your surgical sites. And he lifts up the shirt and these two little drops of blood came out from the bandage as if he was predicting the future. These two little drops of blood came out from under the bandage and rolled down his side. And meanwhile, we were watching all the other drops of blood continuously collect below his skin and it start to swell. And so she was just like, that is not right. So she called the doctor. The doctor came in and said, that's not right. We got to get that fixed. So quickly, the recovery room turns into a surgery room. So he's having his now 10th surgery unscheduled live in front of him. And I get this tug and I have to, and I'm taken back to the waiting room. And they do the surgery. And I realized that what happened is that when he threw up the pill, he had these two little coughs. And what he did is he ruptured uh, some of the, the surgical site underneath us. So he was essentially bleeding internally. And if that wouldn't have happened, if the nurse wouldn't have caught it, I realized when I was sitting in the waiting room, we would have been driving home. And instead of watching him just sleep from the recovery, I would have been watching him without knowing it internally bleed out. Wow. So that was tough to have that realization. So they go back a couple hours later, we finally make it home. A couple days later, he's recovering. And I finally asked him, I was like, Max, what, how did you understand what was going on? And how did you know to say something? And <laughs> I never thought in a million years that a book would save my son's life. I never book written by you. Nonetheless, I'd never thought in 2 million years, it would be my book that saved his life because his words were dead. I remember grandma Joyce's story from the book and I didn't want to die like grandma Joyce. I wanted to save my own life. And 
he goes, dad, I love you, <laughs> but you are not my superhero. <laughs> I am my own superhero. I'm the superhero of my own life. And because he read the book and because he understood the message behind it, he had the strength to stand up for himself and to say something. So it, it was shocking that he had also gone on to explain. He goes, he's just like, I've, I've watched you through the years set world records. I've watched you work on this book and write the book. So the, the one thing that I learned from you is that I will forever be my own superhero. And it is on me to take care of myself. Even though you're my dad, you didn't know what it felt like when I, the, and I asked him, so what made you say something? He goes, my underneath my, the, my bandage and the surgical site, it just felt cold. He goes, out of all the surgeries I've had, I've never felt that before. And because it was so new and so different, I had to say something because I knew my body was sending me a message. Something is wrong. And I listened to my body and I verbalized for myself and for my body that something was wrong. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> so what is where it then took me was it's just like being a leader or taking care of yourself. You can't fake being healthy. You can't fake being happy. You just have to do certain things for yourself to be your own superhero. And that is exactly what my 15-year-old son did. It's still shocking to me because that conversation only happened 10 hours ago. <laughs> that is quite emotional. You know, as a parent of 16-year-olds, I can completely relate. I have a, a son and a daughter, twins, 16 years old, but I can completely relate. That's incredible, the bond that you must have that your son took your book seriously and read it and paid attention to it yes. and had that self-awareness. That self-awareness is really, I think that's a point you try and make more than anything else is really paying attention and being self-aware. And, and in your case, I think you've done it through a lifetime of experimentation and education. Can you tell us about that? So I've been a swimmer. Yeah. So some, it's funny is some people are like, I don't want my sport. They don't want certain things to define them. I don't want my sport to define me. I'm like, I've been swimming for 50 years. I want my sport to define me because I'm proud of my sport. I'm proud of what I've done. Setting 20 world records, it takes work. It takes discipline. It takes dedication. I mean, there's just so many things that it takes. And it's, it's funny is that so many people really pay attention and watch what I do without me ever knowing it. So there was one time I was, I, I, so I coach a swim team down in DC, go down there on, on Tuesdays, I swim by myself for an hour and a half. And then I get out and I do some dry land workout, which is push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups and things like that. And then I get out and then my team shows up and I coach for another hour and a half. So I'm at this pool for a good four or five hours every Tuesday. And over the course of about a year and a half, I noticed this one lifeguard. He's there. He's Tuesday is his night to work and he's there every night. And so over the year and a half, I, I just, I, I knew everybody that worked there, friendly with them. But I also noticed this guy, he just kept losing weight. One day I walk up to him and I was just like, okay, I got to say, it looks like you've lost about 25 pounds or so. He goes, actually, I've lost about 30 pounds. Thanks for noticing. I was like, well, that's great. So what did you do? How did you do it? And he just looked at me and, and just paused. And he's just like, from watching you. 
And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I watch you come in and I watch you swim. I watch you do your pull-ups and your push-ups and your sit-ups. And I watch you still have enough energy to be dedicated to your team and coach your team. So I just wanted to be like you. And for a year and a half, I didn't know he was watching me. I don't, I didn't know that. So, and I think that's where people as a, as you move into that leadership role is people watch, people listen. <laughs> People see what you're doing. And it's like, I can't fake my way to a world record. I have to put in the work. I have to take care. I have to be my own leader. And part of the idea behind the book, and this is what happened for my son, is that he developed the skills to become his own coach, to listen to himself, to listen to the message that his body was desperately trying to tell him is that, hey, you're bleeding somewhere and you need to say something. So for me, I think that's probably one of the biggest, strongest qualities of a leader is you lead by example. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. And you're right. People watch. They watch not only in your case, the workout, the training, but they watch uh, what you do when you're not training or in a leadership position. They'll watch how you conduct yourself or how you, how you dress, how you respond to people of different socioeconomic status. And so people are watching. Regarding that self-awareness, the ability for you to monitor your health and be self-aware. You know, in leadership, we want to be in charge of our executive functioning. One of the things you've mentioned in the book is if you pay attention to, and I'll let you go into the details or I'll ask you to go into the details, but how do you increase your level of calm and how can you think better and faster and maintain your executive functions? That's important for, as I was thinking about different stories that I was maybe going to share with you is, is probably uh, my 19th world record is I, it was, I had to go to Australia. So it, I think we flew in maybe two days before. So there's a little bit of a jet lag in there, a little tired, kind of have to manage my way through the next two days, but I'm also coaching the team. And there's 28 summers that I have to manage as well and manage myself and <laughs> swim. So as I was getting ready to move through the, the next couple of days, I, I had to do everything I can just to stay calm. I couldn't waste any energy on not getting my meal fast enough, or it took a little longer to get to the pool for, for a warm up or whatever, because I was already coming off of a, a jet lag. And then I remember while I was swimming, my, my 19th world record is there was this kid next to me who was, he was 24 years old and he, he was fast. And I'm in the 55 age group sit, swimming next to this guy. And I told myself, I was like, be careful with, of him. <laughs> and so I have to make sure that I'm managing my own race and I have to swim my own race. So he, the, the gun goes off and he goes and I go with him. And about four strokes into it, I was just like, wait a second, you've got to stick to your plan. You can't go with this young kid. <laughs> so I back off a little bit. And I remember as I was swimming, so when you swim and you do anything, when you perform and anything, you still have to kind of manage what's going on in your thoughts and your body and the messages. So I remember getting to the wall at the 150. It's a 200 meter race, four laps, four lengths. And so I'm getting to the last turn. And I remember feeling a little unusual, a little dizzy, a little lightheaded. And I'm like, wow, I've never felt that way before. And so then I'm going back my last lap. And when you swim, you, you try to just dump as much of all your energy into the last part of the race, maybe 25 meters to go. 
And so I got to the 25 meter mark and I dumped everything into that moment and to try to get to the wall to break the world record. But within about two seconds, I realized that I dumped too much energy into that moment and I had to back off my legs. And because I was backing off my legs, I was actually predicting the future in front of me was only 25, 20 meters in front of me. I was like, you're gonna run out of energy by the time you get to the flags. With five meters left, you're gonna run out of energy. So I backed off my legs, I touched the wall, I looked at the record and I broke it by 14 hundredths of a second. So even in one of the most high intensity moments of my life, I still have to control my emotions. I have to control my energy. I have to control how I'm moving through the process and always keep an eye out that, yes, I'm trying to break a world record, but there are certain things that my body is telling me to do and not to do. And so with 50 years of swimming experience, I responded accordingly and I listened to my body. And what's funny is I had this friend of mine in the, in the stands and she made the Olympic team back in 88. And she even said, she goes, I noticed you started kicking as you should. And then all of a sudden you stopped. Why did you do that? And I was like, well, <laughs> when we were kids, we were told that you dump all your energy. But as a master swimmer, as I got older, I can't afford to do that anymore. <laughs> I have to manage the entire 200 meters instead of just a, a specific thing of what we learned as kids doesn't apply to me anymore. And so I have to make sure that as I move through my sport, I keep learning and I keep adjusting and I keep adapting. What I put in the book is a lot of people are surprised at the, the meaning of life. The meaning of life is just simply our ability to adapt and continually change until preceded by death. Part of anything with life, you have to be open to continuously change. And that's where I think the, hopefully some of the message from the book comes from is you can't just lock in and stay there. You have to be able to change and adapt. Yeah. You continuously change and adapt. So 14 hundredths of a second, is that what you said you won that race by? 14 hundredths of a second was my 19th world record. Okay. So 14 hundredths of a second, putting that into the boardroom or into the executive, every little nuance, every little component of your diet, of your rest, of your hydration, of your level of exercise, all that gives you, it gave you as a swimmer, 14 hundredths of a second. But to the executive, to the leader in the boardroom, that 14 hundredths of a second translates into situational awareness. It translates into you understanding the situation before you and having the calm and the resolve to make the right decision at the right time. Not think of the concept five minutes after the meeting ended, but to be present, to be in the moment and to have that resolve. I look at that as like, is, are you going to stay ahead of the flow or are you going to try to catch up to the flow? By being healthy, like I said at the beginning, you can't fake being healthy. So by being healthy in, in every aspect of your life, you're going to stay ahead of that flow. And it's going to, and I know that we've talked about this heart rate variability, HRV, is, and people ask me, they're like, you set 20 world record. You've done all these things in your life. How do you make it look so easy? And I'm like, it is a lot of management. It is a lot of, I manage the stress. I make sure that my speed of thought stays as functional as possible. I want to make sure that I am swimming at a very high heart rate in managing. And it's like, I have to make these decisions within hundreds of a second. 
And if I don't, then I miss the world record by hundreds of a second. Same thing in the board, it, wherever you go is like you were picking up nuances. So when my son Max was going through his process, I was watching the doctor's face. I was watching the nurse's face. I was getting the real story live by their reactions. And it helped me manage my emotions. So that way I can make the decisions and be strong enough for my son to keep him calm. I'm calm, he's calm, he's calm, everybody else is calm. <laughs> so that basically saves his life. And that applies to anything and everything that you do. So heart rate variability, you mentioned that. Let's break that down just a little bit for all of our uh, listeners and all of our executives and all of our leaders out there. I'm a firm believer in heart rate variability. Since I learned about it and since I practice controlling my sympathetic nervous system, and because of rest, hydration, nutrition, exercise, I have very smooth, very linear heart rate variability. But can you discuss what it is and why it's important? So heart rate variability is, I would say, somewhat of a new concept. When I was swimming like through college and things, we always were tracking our heart rate. So in the book, I talk about basically your resting heart rate. We have the idea is that we have a limited amount of heartbeats. And so if we can move through life in a way that we can protect our heartbeats is that they are precious. Like for an example, one of the most stressful things that anybody ever does is a drive, is a commute. A commute to work or wherever you go is one of the most stressful things. But if you allow that commute to build against you, your heart rate goes up. And so then it takes some time to, for it to come down. So you're basically triggering this fight or flight response in a situation that you may not need to be triggering that response. And so that will disrupt your heart rate variability. That will move you into what's called, as you said, the sympathetic nervous system where it takes energy from you. It takes management. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes heartbeats. But if you can go through a situation to where you are in the parasympathetic nervous system, that's the rest and recovery phase of life. So if you can keep yourself there, that will control your heart rate variability. And as you stay in that space, that will allow you your cognitive executive functions to increase. You will think better. You will think faster. Solutions will pop up because most likely you have the solutions in your head but is something blocking you from getting that solution? Are you fight or flight response? Or are you casually, easily moving through the situation to where you allow those executive functions to work and fire at their highest level? So any type of, and again, any situation is you want those, <laughs> those executive functions to be working as smoothlessly as possible. You want to make it look easy. So when sympathetic kicks in, it kind of takes over. It kind of relieves you to some extent of your executive function. I know it literally narrows your vision and that reduces your ability to reason and to think. Sympathetic, right? The tiger's chasing me, but it's not only when the tiger's chasing you, it's in traffic, as you said, in the boardroom or in a leadership position, somebody could bring you as a leader, very good information, which could excite you and set off sympathetic or very bad information which could excite you and set off sympathetic. But either way, you're surrendering the driver's seat to your own self-control and your own situational awareness. And so you want to activate parasympathetic and gain that back. Heart rate variability and the number of heartbeats. Jerry, in his book, he talks about, assuming we only have so many heartbeats in life, how do we maximize the economy of that? It's a great discussion. That's where most athletes live is 
And that's what I try to do with my athletes is like, if, if you and anyone else, if you can perform better at a lower heart rate, that's the goal <laughs> is that you will perform, you'll actually increase your endurance. You'll increase all the speed and, and everything that goes with it. And so as you live your life at a lower resting heart rate or lower heart rate, I, and I know people always like say life is hard. Life is a challenge. Life is like, if you can control certain things, life doesn't have to be that hard. Have you making it that hard <laughs> because of your emotional response to something that you shouldn't surrender to, or are you controlling that? And that's exactly what, that's how I've set 20 world records is I've paid attention to that, not just while I'm swimming. So there's this idea that I live in this 5% and 95% world is that I, and people assume that I'm swimming and training all the time to break these world records. And I said, to be honest with you, I maybe dedicate 5% of my day to my athletic performance. And 5% of my day is only 72 minutes. And I only swim maybe two to three times a week. And the other times it might be weight training or it might be yoga. I actually do more yoga than I do swimming. What happens with that 5% is critical. It's very important for me to break a world record or do anything performance-wise. But what's more important to me is the 95% of the rest of the, my day. If I'm not sleeping well, then my 5% goes down. If I'm not eating well, my 5% goes down. If I'm not properly hydrated, my 5% goes down. If I'm giving away my heartbeats to a situation that I shouldn't be giving them away to, my 5% goes down. To get the most out of my training, that 5%, I have to actually concentrate and make sure my 95% is hitting on all cylinders. And so when I get a better 95% return, that 5% goes up. And then when that 5% goes up, I'm happier and my 95% goes up. So I can't tell you what's more important, the 5% or the 95%, because both of them equal 100%. Yeah, they fuel each other. They yeah, thrive they, they off of each, each other. other. Yeah, my exercise thrives off of my rest and my sleep. And my sleep thrives <laughs> off of my exercise and nutrition and hydration. Yes. and brain and heart health, yeah, lifelong learning, all those things. Let's get into the chemistry of the brain just a little bit, just a little bit. We talk about cortisol awakening response and cortisol release throughout the day, and then serotonin, melatonin, human growth hormone. Can you take us through how the body produces and responds to those chemical reactions and what it means to, the, to you physiologically. Okay. So yeah. So through the book, I discovered this kind of a, a unique concept. So being an athlete and being a swimmer, I've been on a, a relay teams. And so a relay team has a very specific order. You always put like your second best athlete first, and then number two and number three go second and third, and your best athlete goes last. That's just the, the ideal relay situation. So my favorite chapter in the book is chapter two. It's one <laughs> sentence long. <laughs> it's just your body's already figured it out. It's waiting for you to catch up. So when you can understand and catch up with the idea that these four hormones really dictate your day, and that's the cortisol. And, the, and what you talked about, the cortisol awakening response, is that happens first. That is the motivation. That gets you out of bed. That will... When, when does that happen exactly? So it's, it's interesting is that your body responds to the sun, the daylight. So you have receptors in your, in your eyeball that will pick up the change in light. So as light comes through your eyelids and these receptors get turned on, 
And then it starts to build this initial release of cortisol and then it gets up and then it goes. So in about 20, 30 minutes after you wake up, then you get this initial release of cortisol. And that's, that's basically why and how you get out of bed. But cortisol is used for executive functions. It is used for decision-making, problem-solving, and and kind of the meat of your business day. You have a limited supply of cortisol. You just can't run through all day. And if cortisol is running your whole relay, you're in trouble because there is a limited, and it runs out at about one o'clock. Now, once it runs out, there's another hormone that shows up, and that's serotonin. Serotonin is the calm. You got everything productive that you need to do early in the morning, early in the day, and then you basically have to calm down. This is the heart rate variability and serotonin helps that. That keeps you in this parasympathetic stage of life. And so that's where you want to use the ideas of like creativity, make things basically calm. Because the reason why serotonin is so important is the re- how we fall asleep is, and everybody knows what melatonin is for. Melatonin helps you go to sleep. But melatonin only comes up. So when the sun goes down, your body then releases a few enzymes to take all the serotonin you have and convert it to melatonin. And that's what helps you fall asleep. So when you fall asleep, that melatonin will then allow the most important hormone in your body to take over. And it takes over while you sleep and deep sleep. And that's human growth hormone. So cortisol is kind of the, it is a steroid that uses the body to get you to do something. And then the human growth hormone is the steroid that fixes everything as you went through the day. So that's the, that's really an, and everybody knows it, it's an anabolic steroid and it's, and it's only released with the quality and the quantity of sleep. So if you're burning through cortisol all day long, you're not producing serotonin, you're not gonna have the melatonin you need to fall asleep easily. And then all of a sudden human growth hormone never shows up. And so when human growth hormone never shows up, the, the human growth hormone is what finds the abnormal cells in the body, it fixes you. So if you're burning everything too far with cortisol through the day and you're stressed, you're opening the door for cancer because that's just simply that you are allowing these abnormal cells to run free in your body without the help of human growth hormone to stop everything. And the other part of melatonin, why it's so important is that yes, it helps you fall asleep, but it's also one of the main hormones that controls all other hormones in your body. So everybody just thinks melatonin is just for this. It's like, nope, that is also the hormone in charge of all the other hormones. So again, it's, it's, this is where you're just simply trying to make sure you're moving through the day as you should to set up your next day. You repair from the day and then you also prepare for the next day. Then it just spills right into 5%, 95%. So the executive, the leader, the person who needs to be highly analytical. The morning time, that cortisol awakening response really stimulates an analytical brain. It stimulates the ability to resist distractions. It stimulates the ability to concentrate. In that book uh, written by Daniel Pink, and we talked about that titled When, he talks about peak trough recovery. Most of us shortly after awakening are in a peak state, highly analytical, get the tough work done, And then we hit that trough state, but obviously this is directly related to that cortisol release and then the subsequent production of, help me, I just forgot the the names. (laughs) Yeah, so the cortisol, serotonin, melatonin, just the relay as you move through the day. So relay, yeah, the relay. relay. So as as you control your own relay, you're going to, you're going to function better. You're going to leave better. You're going to do everything better. (laughs) So is there such a thing as brain food? 
I know that people throw out these terms to make certain ideas catchy, like uh, there's um, superfoods and brain foods and things and just so ginkgo biloba. Talk, you know what? <laughs> yeah. The ginkgo biloba that yeah. I don't even it, it's a uh, it's a root I think you know. Yeah, it's it's a root. So you have all these these I'm gonna call them what they are. You get you have all these products that people are trying to just dress up as pretty as possible to get you to, to sink your teeth into. In the book, I just simply talk about what I call serotonin lunch, is that if you can eat certain types of food that help build and generate serotonin through your gut and through your brain, that just allows you to get through that relaxed phase of the day and get you to move to melatonin and human growth hormone. A lot of people will try to work through lunch. It's so busy. And I'm like, that is the worst thing you can do is try to work through lunch because where is your serotonin? Where's your melatonin? Where's your human growth hormone? If those three hormones don't show up, your efficiency just is going to drop. That's just what the body has figured out. And if you can understand what the body has already figured out and you can catch up, wow, are you are you going to catch up? <laughs> so what do we eat or what do we avoid eating to create that serotonin lunch? So that's the tricky part is, is what do we eat? And what do we avoid eating? Obviously everybody knows the story in sugar. Sugar is just bad. There's just, there's no benefit of just sugar. So the idea is that you're going to eat. And this is where I talk about in the uh, nutrition chapter, there's two nutrition chapters, the regular nutrition chapter and protect your nutrition chapter. And so the idea behind them is it, nutrition's a tough topic. And so what I like to, to concentrate on is the diversity and the complexity of your foods. The more diverse your foods are and the more complex your foods are, you're going to get the minerals, the vitamins, and the phytochemicals that you need to sleep better, to think faster, to exercise, to be hydrated, all those fun things. If you're going after the quick pizza, or the quick food process, that's going to be just, there's not a lot of diversity, there's not a lot of complexity, and there's not a lot of nutrition in those type of foods. But if you're having like deep green leafy vegetables with Parmesan cheese and avocado in chicken and things like that, and eggs, as you bring in peppers, sunflower seeds, chia seeds, as you bring in more foods, your body's going to be able to, it's going to look at you and it's going to reward you with a healthy gut. And so I know we're, we didn't really schedule to talk about the gut, but my performance as an athlete leader or whatever I do really gets down to how healthy is my gut. And everybody knows it. if you have an upset stomach, that takes over, <laughs> that takes over your feelings, your thoughts, it takes over everything. Yeah. So the healthier your gut is, basically your body frees you up to be a better leader, to be, to, to think faster, stronger, uh, exercise better. So it's the, the diversity and complexity of your diet is what protects the, your gut, the health of your gut and everything then goes up. I would say that your labs have a lot to do with that as well. I think back to 26 years in Navy special operations in my twenties with my teammates, it was all about how fast can we run? How deep can we dive? How high of an altitude can we get that airplane to fly before we jump out? How much, how much can I lift? How much can I bench? How much can we drink? In your 20s, it's all about these kind of excesses. In your 30s, you've kind of sharpened the skill on those excesses a little bit. So in your 30s, it's not excess. It's really peak performance, I would say. In your 40s, it's peak performance, but now you're starting to work through injuries. And I could, in my 40s, I could care less about how much I could bench press or you know, the other stuff, it's more about maintaining health. In my fifties, 
It's all about my labs. I want to know what my glucose is. I want to know what my HDL, my LDL, my my um, your uh, your list your list is going to go on seventy six items. Yeah, exactly. So you go in and get your blood work out and your urine analysis. You're, there's seventy six more than seventy six things that you're looking at, and that's and that's where I jump in when people say, "What do you do about supplements?" I said. I go get a physical every year. I get my lab work. I look at it. I review it. And then if I'm missing something from my labs, then I will find what needs to be corrected. Do you just do labs once a year? uh, I just do them once a year. Because again, I've been swimming for 50 years. I know, I know kind of what's going on in my body. I know like the other day, I realized that I wasn't sleeping all that well. And I'm like, your fiber intake over the last couple of days really was, was low. And so then I, boot, I, then I get my fiber intake to where I, it needs to be. And all of a sudden I'm sleeping like a baby again, because the, the health of my gut is exactly where it should be. And that allows me to sleep and allows me to sleep. Great. My head hits a pillow. I'm always asleep within five minutes and I wake up 10 minutes before my alarm. And that's my routine. But I know that if I'm low on fiber intake, that whole system is going to be disrupted. And so, so and, I know, and I know my labs are going to be disrupted as well. So when it comes to sleep, a lot of people, myself included, I like to have a glass or two of wine, either with dinner, after dinner, before bed. But then, you know, again, the executive in the business world, you know, drinking is kind of part of the business process, if you will. But let's just talk briefly about alcohol and how that affects our overall intentional wellness. All right. So alcohol is a tough one. And I, and I recognize it in the book and I, I say it in the book. I'm like, look, this is a tough topic for some people. And, and, and I don't put alcohol all in one lump sum in one part of the book. Cause I just didn't want somebody to go alcohol, 10 pages flip and get rid of it. So alcohol shows up in the sleep chapter. And what happens with alcohol in the, in the sleep chapter is that you have those four hormones. So alcohol will decrease automatically your melatonin by minimum 20%. And so as your melatonin goes down, your ability to sleep goes down. And so you're essentially, you're pulling melatonin out of the equation. And there's this other hormone called adenosine. Adenosine is the byproduct of energy production. And so when you have certain levels of adenosine building up in your body, you will eventually fall asleep, but you're falling asleep in the wrong conditions. And so as you remove melatonin, insert adenosine only gets you to fall asleep by burning you out. And so that's when people, that's what people mistakenly use alcohol as a sleeping aid is that they're like, oh, I'm tired. I need to relax. I'm like, well, you're only falling asleep with the use of alcohol by burning yourself out. And guess who doesn't show up when you substitute in adenosine? Human growth, the book, human growth hormone doesn't show up. And so now you're like, why would you substitute your second best athlete out of your relay and put in number eight? No coach is going to do that. So why would you do that? So if you are going to have a relationship with alcohol, still you, you want to try to make there's a, a two to four hour window before you go to bed, because you want the body to have the, the ability to process the, the toxins that are produced that increase your adenosine. So if you have something to drink at dinner and you're gonna to go to sleep four hours later, that's a little bit of a healthier relationship with alcohol as it relates to sleep. I like the way you put that, a relationship with alcohol, right? So we, 
we have to pay attention to our relationships. We have to tend to them. We have to nurture them and not abuse them. And uh, alcohol is, is certainly no different. I have six things that I call the science of leadership. Once again, rest, hydration, nutrition, exercise, brain and heart health, and lifelong learning. I believe from the book, you have eight things that you think are critical to healthy, happy functioning. Well, the eight things are, they're, they're pretty much the exact same thing. Uh, you also have an emotional response and you have, you have relationships. And one of those, one of those items is also kind of a, a daily activity. It's, it's, it's how do you, uh, your six things that you talk about is how do you tie all of them together as you move through the day? And that's where the relay came from. And that other part is, is you have to have you really have to have healthy relationships in your life to make sure that you can function as efficiently as possible. So there are people that may have hit jackpots on physical abilities and physical um, wellness and everything like that. But if you are lacking on emotional intelligence and relationship intelligence and things like that, your wheel is a little unbalanced and you're not hitting the jackpots everywhere and you may be bankrupt in, in a couple of areas. And so that's why the, the eight things that are going to include the emotional response, which ultimately leads to the, the HRV. And then you have, how do you move through the day? If you're not moving through the day as you should, your wheel's going to be a little uh, unstable. It's going to be, a, it's going to wobble a little bit. And again, getting back to what I said at the beginning is you, you can't fake being healthy. You can't fake being happy. People will see it. They will pick up on it. And so it's just, you just have to make sure you're, you're all um, eight parts of your wellness wheel are, are stable. You know, Jerry, having served for 26 years on active duty and, and been in the private sector now for 11 years, I have come to know my body and how my body responds in my mind and, and what's healthy for both kind of the 95.5 and, and the fact that everything feeds each other continuously. I've also observed that people who don't pay attention to that, they are less effective and they don't last as long. So if I want to be the most effective leader I can be, I'm paying attention to this. And if I want to have a very long career, you know, we're all heading towards dementia. But if I want to delay the onset of that and have a very long and prosperous career and really help others achieve their objectives throughout my career, these components in, in the intentional wellness that you write about is critical, critical. And if leaders aren't paying attention to that, you're making a critical mistake. I would even say a life-threatening mistake, a mistake that is going to negatively impact not only your team and your employees, but it's going to negatively impact your quality of life, your family, everything that you, know, you hold near and dear. And, and Bob, what it gets down to is what I talked about before is you're bringing in the identity, you're going to get burned out you're going to burn yourself out because your body is just like, we are not hitting on all cylinders. We have too many things making up, overcompensating for what's not working. And so eventually you're going to burn out. And that's exactly what you're talking about. You see people come in, you see how they are. And I'm sure you've met enough people to where you're, you're watching them and you're like, whoa, that guy is going to burn out. Oh, <laughs> and, without a doubt. And, and you can predict it. You can see it. You can see you can see their path like laid out in front of you because you've seen it enough times and you know they're going to be burned out. You have to make a decision. How much time and energy am I going to put towards this person knowing 
that they're going to burn out. And I'm, and I want to protect myself and I don't want to get caught up in their own burnout. As a leader, I got to make sure I, I can control and bring them back down to where they need to be to make it to the, the it's an endurance. I just had a conversation with my son last night. I said, Max, I, I love setting world records. They're fun. I love all the process that goes through it. And I was like, and to be honest with you, I want to set a world record when I'm 105. That would mean I'd be swimming for 100 years. And so I also told him, I was like, and you, do you realize is that that goal is 50 years away from me? I still have to live 50 years to get to 105. And so for the next 50 years, there's a lot of things that I have to do right. And there's very few things that I can afford to do wrong. So if I want to set a world record 105, there's a lot of things that I still have to do right over the next 50 years. Well, well Jerry, <laughs> and you're, helping, that thought. <laughs> you're helping me in my goal setting because I am also 55 and I want to watch you set that record. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I'll, I'll make, so in Virginia Beach area, there's a lot of swim meets down there that I can, I can set, I'll come down and I'll swim there. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. That would be absolutely great. Okay. Hey, as we wind it up, I have two final questions for you. One is tell us about that very cool picture behind you. And then two, tell us how people can learn more about you and get in touch with you. Yeah. Oh, so the picture behind me is, is it's, it's one of my favorites. My daughter made this when she was 12 years old. So it is, it's like, you know, when your kids do something and it just, it just hits you instantly. And I was just like, Oh my God, I love it. And, and I was like, I'm going to put it up on the wall. And she's like, you better not, you can't put that. In. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but as a parent, <laughs> I love what you did. And so I'm going to put it up behind you. So now she's happy with it, that it's there. So my website is live intentionally well. And the name of the book is intentionally well. Um, you can either look me up Jerry Frenzos that way, or just live intentionally well.com. That's awesome. Jerry, thank you. Love the discussion. And uh, we'll have another one for sure. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. To contact Bob directly or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training, team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com, Robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com, and connect with him on LinkedIn.